divide us and separate us from the very thing that the law intended in the first place. And we're going to illustrate that this morning through one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible that comes out of John 8. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of dive into this particular story that just shows up in the Gospel of John. And we're going to start reading at verse 1 of chapter 8. And the passage goes like this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Now, this is really important because he is at the temple. Now, the temple is not a place where nobody shows up. There's a lot of people who are going to be around the temple. So there's going to be a crowd, which is the context of this. And the crowd is going to be Roman and Jewish people. And there's going to be military or law officers as part of what is happening at the temple, okay? So a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Notice that. They put her in front of the crowd. They said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, the religious leaders are opportunists. There's no doubt. They have found an opportunity to challenge Jesus. Jesus has this reputation, and now they want to challenge him. And of course, this proximity to the temple is a really important context. It's the perfect opportunity to expose, not only expose Jesus, but to humiliate him in front of a crowd. Jewish unrest often happened in the temple grounds, so there's Roman guards to protect the safety, the sanctity, and you know, the, the, the temple in a way so riots don't break out. So there would have been very many fully armed Roman soldiers as part of this. Now, we need to determine a number of things about this situation. What does the law of Moses actually say? If you're going to say, here's the law, here's the, 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 the transcript of what the law says, what is it about the law that is very important for us to, to understand right out of the gate? Number one is she is either engaged or married. Okay, without getting in a lot of details, that's what the scriptures talk about. It talks about adultery. It's talking about married. But in that context, when you were engaged to someone, you could not commit adultery, right? You were committed to that person. That's the way the culture um, was, was structured in that particular point in time. Here's the second thing that God had instituted about this whole thing of adultery. Accusations needed at least two witnesses. At least two witnesses. It couldn't be one-on-one. -on -one. It had to have two witnesses. And there was times, too, there's, there's other passage that talks about even better yet if you had a third witness. So it had to have at least two witnesses. Here's the third thing. The witnesses were also the ones that were allowed to throw the first stones. Okay? So you became judge and jury. 
Here's the last thing and the most important thing. Where's the man? Where is the man? Or he was never there in the first place. Okay? Now, to our modern sensibilities, this is a really tough story. To our modern sensibilities. Even at this particular point in history, most historians and most scholars believe that the stoning of a person in adultery has, is very, very, very rare. Very rare at this point in time. There's been some kind of movement. But for the religious leaders, turf is more important than truth. It's more important than justice. And it's even more important than people. They were violating the law itself in order to enforce it. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been in a situation where a law person breaks the law in order to try to enforce it. That is a really dangerous place to be humanly. And that's what they're doing right now. Okay? So let's continue reading the passage. But this is really important because this is the background of what the law actually states. And you've got the passage there if you want to have it backed up. So it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit because... What the religious leaders would have thought here is they had Jesus in a double-bind situation. They thought they had set up the perfect trap for Jesus, that there's just no way of him getting out of it. Here, here is why it's such a perfect trap. If Jesus sides with the law, he will lose his credibility as a person of grace and mercy and a healer. Okay? He will face the ire also of the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities know that, you know, you don't have the right to stone somebody. That's another thing in, in, under the Roman subjugation of the Israelite people is that they could not just arbitrarily want to commit capital, you know, you know capital of, um, uh, offenses to, to people without Roman approval. So the Roman authorities would have been you know, up in arms. And not only that, because it's a crowd and because it hasn't been exercised in a long, long time, it probably would have started a riot right in front of the temple. Would have been all kinds of problems. And the second thing, if Jesus had a sided with the woman, he would have been discredited as a lawbreaker who defies Moses. You just don't defy Moses. Now, here's, here's one of those passages I, I would love if, if John had a, would have expanded. What did Jesus write in the dust? Okay. This is one of those passages that would have been really neat to find out. But, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that when the Spirit of God does not give us 
a part of the story, that there's a reason for it, an important reason for it. We can speculate all we want. You know, best guess is, is somehow Jesus is responding to the law and, and maybe communicating that they are, they are breaking the law as they stated from the law of Moses, that he's kind of articulating all of that kind of stuff. Um, I believe he's also re- responding like in Exodus 31, 19, the, you know, where, where it talks about God etching the commandment on the tablets of stone with his finger. You know, there's a number of scholars that believe him doing that was a symbolic act, you know, to talk about you are perverting the law of God, which was etched in the stone tablets on Mount Sinai by his very finger. It's one of the things that a lot of, you know, if you look at the Mishnah, the Mishnah, you know, a a Jewish writing that explicates the law and it's done, it said this was done on the Sabbath and when you work, that was considered work on the Sabbath if you're doing that kind of writing, except when you're writing in the dust because the wind will blow it away after a while. That's what the Mishnah says. Okay? That's how, that's how you know, um, they were. St. Jerome thought that he was writing a list of the women's accusers with reference to Jeremiah 17, 13. All who abandon you will be put to shame. They will disappear like names written in the dust. Okay? So there's all kinds of speculation, all kinds of, you know, thoughts of what it could possibly be, but the Spirit of God has not told us what Jesus wrote in the dust. What we do know is the impatience of the religious leaders demanding an answer. Jesus had to stand up again and say, okay, those of you without sin be the first to throw stone. See, here's, here's what's really important. Jesus in his response is not targeting the heart and motivation of the religious leaders, not the veracity of the law of Moses. Jesus doesn't get into an argument about the interpretation. He doesn't, he could have easily just stood up and said, okay, okay, wait a minute, guys, where, where's the man? Where are we going to get with this? Where, you know, uh, who are formally the accusers? You know, you're all standing up here saying you got caught in a dark, but who are the actual accusers? Who actually saw it? Who actually witnessed it? Who's actually bringing this charge of the law before the woman? He doesn't get into any of that. He doesn't argue about the details of the law, which I find really fascinating. What he targets is the heart and the motivation of the religious leaders of why they're doing it in the first place. See, you can be absolute a lawgiver, a person that is going by the letter of the law and be a horrible human being. You can go by the letter of the law and you can be an abuser. You can be all kinds of things and still be to the letter of the law. And not only that, you can use the law to justify your actions. Is the law bad? No. But when the motivation and the heart behind that law is done for your own good to hurt others, you are a dangerous person. I'm in a good mood. 
<laughs> right? I love it. I love that he, that he doesn't argue the details. But what he points out is the motivation and the heart behind what they're doing. So here is the next past passage um, as we continue reading. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. And notice this, beginning with the oldest, because in that culture, they would have taken their cue from the older religious leader and the younger would have taken their cue from them. So it's very, very important that the text tells us it's the older one, oldest ones that start off first and realize. Okay? Jesus says, okay, go ahead and throw the stones, but if you're without sin, none of us, none of us in this room, none of us online can make that claim, can we? Okay? until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them, didn't even one of them condemn you? Now remember, the religious leaders have, have slowly you know, gone away, but the crowd is still there. The crowd who have witnessed this is still there. So as the older leaders have left and then the younger ones have followed suit, there is just Jesus, the woman, and the crowd. Jesus, I, found, I find this very interesting, but Jesus does not get up from writing in the sand the second time until the religious leaders are gone. And this is the first time in the whole transaction that Jesus has actually addressed the woman. Because it's been <laughs> law against law, interpretation, and what to do with this person. Like she's, she's the victim in all of this, but only now is she even being addressed. They came, the religious leaders came to shame and humiliate Jesus, but in turn, they thought they had him in a double-bind situation, but in turn, they're the ones that walk away shame and humiliated. And it's been done in full view of the crowd. Now, I love this very last line where he asks, has not even one condemned you? And she says, no, Lord. And it's interesting, she uses the terminology Lord. It's an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I, which is the reputation that Jesus has amongst the people right now. As a person of grace, peace, healing, restoration, redemptive, all of those beautiful things. Neither do I go and sin no more. Now, the reason I, I love that last little little line is because Jesus acknowledges full well that she's a sinner. Doesn't hide it. Doesn't, doesn't argue the fact of what they had pushed from a law standpoint and acknowledges it. But forgives her despite of it. Forgives her despite of it.
And this whole entire story kind of points forward to the cross that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice of unexpected love to the worst of sinners. The fact that Jesus would even give his life for the religious leaders that tried to shame and humiliate him. That's the beautiful thing about this story. And this story is such a powerful story about the tension between law and grace. Which is the tension that I sensed in those police officers when, when I sat down with them who are now in ministry. That there was this real tension between their being agents of the law against those times where they needed to act with grace. And now that was being taken away from them more and more and more. And was making the job of being a police officer far more difficult. Far more difficult than it was when they first started. I want to give you um, three points when it comes to religion versus grace that I want you to keep in mind because that's what this story really, really illustrates so beautifully is this tension between law and grace. And sometimes when we're dealing with law, we forget, we forget, we forget that we're dealing with human beings who are by nature, by birth, sinners. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to be found in situations where we're going to be guilty according to the law. That we're all going to be in a place where punishment and judgment is deserved. But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Is that we can be forgiven. That we can be healed. That we can have redemption that we can have a forgiven relationship before God, our Heavenly Father, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But religion by itself, without grace, is dangerous in three ways. Number one, it can be easily weaponized, very easily weaponized. I, I you know, as a pastor... Um, I'm heartbroken at the number of people that I continually, you know, share time with, and they talk about how religion has been weaponized against them in one way or another. It's very easy to weaponize the Bible against another human being. And unfortunately, that's kind of the reputation that the church has, that the Bible has, that Christians have. All of that, all of that. And yet, what do you do with a story like this? Where by the letter of the law, even though they distorted it, Jesus didn't even get into the argument of the letter of the law. What he did was look at the person and what was happening. So, religion without grace can easily be weaponized. Second thing, religion without grace suffocates the soul. Who are you the hardest when it comes to your life? Who, who is the person you're the most critical of in your life? Yourself. Okay? 
We're all guilty of that. Okay? Some of us need to extend a bit of grace to us. You need to, to whisper into your own heart, into your own mind, a little bit of grace that God still loves you, you know? Isn't that, isn't that one of the hardest things for us to kind of, on a daily basis, be reminded to the full breadth and width of that particular truth is that God loves you. you we can say it very easily to somebody else. You know, I can e easily say it. I can stand up here this morning, I can tell everybody online that God loves you. I'm not sure by the end of this day I'm gonna believe it in myself. I can easily beat myself up. And if you're anything like me, you're probably in the very same, same place. That you can, you know, lack forgiveness in yourself because of something you did, something you said, something. I'm going to get home. I'm going to have to apologize for taking my wife's iPad. <laughs> Dumbest thing I ever, I've never done. In 20 years of ministry, I've never done that. I think 15 years I've been using an iPad, 10 years I've been using it. Never done that. But it's working okay, yeah. It keeps shutting off. I see all our messages now. I'm going to be in real trouble. <laughs> right? Yeah, she'll, she's, she's waving at me right now, so never. <laughs> um, doing a good job, John. <laughs> but religion without grace suffocates our soul. And I'm, I'm becoming a really, I'm becoming f much more... Um, serious about speaking into people's lives. You know, we talk about transformational. It needs to touch your soul. It needs to touch at the very core of who you are as a person. Not the surface stuff. We don't, the surface stuff is enough. This is where the world lives. This is where the world operates, is all the sur surface stuff, okay? We wanna, we wanna go deeper. We wanna go more to the heart. And Jesus touched the soul of every human being. He came in contact with. Okay? Here's the third thing. You know, religion without grace leaves little room, little to no room for forgiveness. I don't know about you, but forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. Forgiveness is at the heart of what Jesus did for people. See, it's easy to say you're a sinner, you deserve judgment, but Jesus came to die for us. To, you know, to willingly place himself on a cross, to be sacrificed in our stead, because as sinners, we could not do for ourselves what Jesus was able to do for us. And that's the beautiful picture of salvation that we have that comes out of this story. Because Jesus did not allow the perversion of the law to hurt someone who is caught, who he acknowledged sinned. And yet, was gracious to that person and became a life lesson for each and every one of us about how important grace is when it comes to the law. I don't know about you, but God, in one way or another, whether you recognize it or not, has been incredibly gracious to you. Incredibly gracious to you. We all deserve what we deserve. And we know it. I think in the, in the deepest recesses of our hearts, we know what we deserve. And yet, the beautiful 
theology that exists in Christianity is that Jesus bore our sins on his body on the tree, made a way for us to be forgiven, to become a child of God, and to be whole again. And not only that, not just for the, the privilege of this lifetime, but for all of eternity. All of eternity. I don't know what better news we can find anywhere else other than in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. For those of you online, for those of you in person, I pray today you would have been reminded of the grace that is ours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you're a believer here this morning, that you will be renewed in your faith. You'll be strengthened in your walk. But if you're not a believer here, if you're a person who's just trying to figure out religion, I pray that this story will point to the person of Jesus Christ and allow you to open your heart to the grace of God, even though you deserve judgment. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your mercies which are new every day. We thank you that we do not have to rely on our own abilities or our own sanctification or our own you know, sacrifices in order to be right with you. But we have an advocate in heaven. We have a savior who has paid it all for us. And I thank you of this story. Um, boy, I, to, to think of the amazing ability of Jesus to be caught in a situation where I think, humanly speaking, nobody would have been able to get out of it. But Jesus, the divine Son of God, was able to demonstrate a powerful lesson of grace when everyone thought the law was going to win. So Lord, we just thank you for this story. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And we pray that today would be a day where we'd be reminded of that incredible gift that we have through faith in him. Amen.